0: I read about this Chinese prisoner that found true freedom. If you're going to yawn, go in the back. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I read about this Chinese prisoner that found freedom, uh, true freedom. And I want to share that story with you guys right now. Thousands of Chinese Christians were killed during the Boxer Rebellion a nationwide effort to snuff out any foreign influences in China that were political, cultural, economic, or religious. Though the rebellion was relatively short, the intense persecution it started persisted for years, most notably under the latter communist leader of Mao Zedong, a Christian evangelist who called himself Ephorus was a young man during the early years of Chairman Mao's reign. He refused to sing the Communist Party songs, salute the chairman's picture, or show his allegiance to any leader other than Christ. Epirus was soon arrested and sentenced to life in prison. A guard asked him why he was so happy all the time. Flashing his characteristic grin, Epirus said, Didn't the Lord tell me from the beginning to give up everything and carry the cross to follow him? This is the Lord's way. I am following him on the same path. Why should I be upset? Why should I complain? This is my biggest blessing. Eleven years after Chairman Mao died, Ephraim, then 62, was surprised when prison officials agreed to set him free. He soon discovered the reason for his sudden release. The court cheated me, he said, by changing my record to show I had recanted my belief in Jesus Christ. In response, Ephorus rented a cell-like room just outside the prison gates and kept himself under house arrest. If I stay in jail, he insisted, they will know that I haven't recanted. Ephorus went one step further to show how serious he was about not recanting. He fasted five days a week. Ever smiling, he would say, If I die from fasting and living under house arrest, then I die as a criminal, just like my Lord Jesus Christ. After 15 years of fasting, Ephraim died at the age of 78. Having made an emphatic, brave statement That true freedom is found in Christ alone. Believers all across China celebrated his life and mourned his death. I love Ephraim's comment when the guard asked him why he is happy in prison. He says, didn't the Lord tell me from the beginning to give up everything and carry the cross to follow him? That is what we are supposed to do. That is what the apostles did, and that's what Jesus Christ himself did. Open your Bibles up to Ephesians 3 and verses 1 through 7. Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 7. Notice, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and the prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Today, as we examine these details and extract the principles, I want to identify some applications, some ways that will help us to be more Christ-like. Ephesians 3, 1 again, notice, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Remember in chapter 2, Paul explained to the Ephesians that they had been made alive in Christ, that they were originally dead in their trespasses, in their transgressions and sins. But because of God's great love for them, because of God's great love for Paul, and because of God's great love for us, they and we were raised up with Christ by grace through faith, both Jews and Gentiles. So Paul says, for this reason, the fact that God has intervened, I, Paul, what? He sort of leaves this part a little bit suspended and is reminded that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the Gentiles. This is an exciting statement because Paul was in a Roman prison when he wrote this letter. One commentator said he, Paul, refuses to regard himself as a victim of either the Jews or the Roman emperor. Rather, He is the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He insists that his imprisonment is a mark of his apostleship. It's a mark of his apostleship. Paul does not allow his circumstances to dictate his attitude. He's happy even while in prison, as was the man in the opening story. Regardless of where he is or what's going on, because... He is a Christian saved by God, a recipient of God's mercy and grace. And because he understood that God wanted him to spread the good news to the Gentiles, he is bound in obedience to the Lord and therefore is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the Gentiles. Understand something. Paul is not working as an apostle because he thinks it's a cool job. He's doing it because he understands who the real king is and is loyal to him above all else. The phrase Paul left suspended, for this reason I, Paul, is completed in verse 14 where he says this, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important to understand that Paul makes it clear that his service to God is one of reverence and his mission was to be like Jesus. Notice Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul is not just talking the talk. He is walking the walk. He is magnifying God through his obedience, even while he's in prison. I read an article titled, Believers Are to Function as Telescopes, that said this. There are two kinds of magnifying, microscopic magnifying and telescopic magnifying. The one makes a small thing look bigger than it is. The other makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. When David says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving, he does not mean I will make a small God look bigger than he is. He means I will make a big God begin to look as big as he really is. We are not called to be microscopes. We are called to be telescopes. Christians are not called to be con men who magnify their product out of all proportion to reality when they know the competitor's product is far superior. There is nothing and nobody superior to God. And so the calling of those who love God is to make his greatness begin to look as great as it really is. That's why we exist That's why we were saved. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this. Feel, think, think, And act in a way that will make God as great as he really is. Be a telescope for the world of the infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. Because God is God, Paul demonstrates his obedience to him as the king. And instead of being a prisoner of men, he is a prisoner of Christ. And regardless of where he is or what is happening to him personally, he puts God's will first. Then Paul continues, Ephesians 3, 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. One dictionary defined dispensation as the method or scheme according to which God carries out his purposes toward men. And in this case, Paul is referring to the system of God's grace that was given to him for the Gentiles. Notice Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. One of the most interesting things about the Apostle Paul was his complete and utter personal unworthiness. He was guilty of persecuting Christians, and yet, despite that, he had received God's mercy and God's grace and would extend that grace to the Gentiles, even if it meant going to prison. Acts eleven, twenty-three, 23. When he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Paul, through God's grace, became a minister of truth. Notice Ephesians 3, 3-7. How that by revelation he, God, made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister." According to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Remember, revelation is the disclosure of something from God to humans. And in this case, God has revealed a mystery or his plan for how he was going to bring the Gentiles into his family equal partners with Israel. Ephesians 2.16 and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Remember, previously we talked about the divide that existed between the Jewish people or God's chosen people and the Gentiles. And God revealed to the Apostle Paul, through Jesus' sacrifice, that divide would be filled and there would be no separation between them and that there is hope for everyone. Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You may recall on the road to Damascus, when Paul encountered Jesus, he was blinded. And then when his eyesight was restored, he had received enlightenment. Or in simple terms, he received his orders from God. And he was changed. Once called Saul of Tarsus, now called Paul the Apostle. A new man in Christ Jesus by the grace of God. And he reminds the readers of this letter that he had already briefly written about the mystery of God. And he says, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Again, that mystery was that God himself brought insiders and outsiders together through the blood of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross was not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles. And through that redeeming sacrifice, Jesus Christ has provided peace between God and man. And has provided access to God, the Father, by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.18, for through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Paul wants the readers of this letter, including us here today, to judge for ourselves. If he, Paul, truly understands God's plan by reading what he has written, and the results will be profound, and an understanding that God has made us all one in Christ Jesus. Notice Colossians 1 To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In addition, Paul points out that this mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other ages as it had been revealed by the spirit to the holy apostles and prophets one commentator said although god's blessing intended for gentiles through the people of god was revealed in the old testament from genesis 12:3 which read i will bless those who bless you and i will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed Onward, it was not proclaimed so fully or so extensively as now under the new dispensation. Essentially, it was not made clear that the body of Christ would be made up of both Jewish people called the sons of Israel and the Gentiles who together in Christ are called the sons of God and that they would both be made new in Christ. And as always the case, this mystery was revealed by the holy spirit to the apostles and prophets notice john 15:26 jesus says but when the helper comes the holy spirit whom i shall send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify of me to testify means to give evidence as a witness the holy spirit provides evidence Of God's plan to us as we pray and as we read our Bibles, and we in turn should do the same thing when dealing with one another. I read about a church that showed love to a new age visitor. Pastor Clark Cathern tells this story to illustrate how God speaks to us through his word. (laughs) Huh. A self-appointed New Age guru glided into our church, he said, wearing an outfit that rivaled Merlin, the magician's best duds. It was, 9, it was 10.55 a.m. and I was changing for a baptism when a couple of deacons popped their heads in and said, Pastor, I think we have a situation. After explaining who had just entered the sanctuary, they asked, what do you want us to do? Underneath their question was this subtext. Do you want us to throw him out? Perfect love casts out fear. That was my first thought, he says. Well, I said, while buttoning my robe, we should demonstrate that we love him and that he's welcome here. The second thought that came to mind, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Tell you what, he said, grabbing a towel. If he's here seeking truth, let's let him listen. God's word will be proclaimed and God's truth will be revealed. If he's here to make trouble, we'll know soon enough. If that's the case, I'll warn him once not to disrupt the service and I'll politely ask him to stay after so we can get to know him better. If he persists in making trouble, then we'll follow through on our promise to politely remove him. And if that happens, one of you should call the police just in case. The moment I stepped into the baptistry, I looked out and saw the man and began a silent prayer for him to know, for him to know that he was loved. God's perfect love was casting out fear in the messenger. I found out after the service that one of our elderly members, a gentle fellow named Elmer, had seen the Merlin lookalike walking in and had whispered to his wife, oh oh good. It looks like we're going to have a skit today. (laughs) He and all the others in the church had smiled graciously and warmly welcomed our guest. Merlin costume and all. That morning, our congregation loved that uniquely clad man. He stayed. He listened. He didn't cause trouble. He heard the gospel. And he even stayed after to discuss the gospel with several of us for nearly an hour. Those thoughts that rushed into the brain back in the changing room. That was God talking. It's amazing sometimes to think about how God works and all, the things that, and all the things that God does and reveals to us. Still, it's impossible to comprehend all that he does because he is God and we are not. And still, in his infinite wisdom... God has chosen to reveal himself to us in so many ways, nature, humanity, history, and of course the Bible, inspired by none other than the Holy Spirit himself. Notice 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it's important to remember, just as the preacher in the story thought to himself, For this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. And he shared the gospel regardless of how he felt. So it should be with each of us as it is with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what somebody looks like or where they come from. Jesus Christ came to bridge the divide between God and man. And that should be the primary focus as it was for Paul. Why? Ephesians 3, 6-7. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power that the hopeless ones the ones without God would become heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel remember An heir is someone who is legally entitled to something. And in this case, it is being a part of the same body, the physical and spiritual Christian body together. Notice Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. All those who have accepted Jesus Christ are co-heirs with Christ. Galatians 3:29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Jews and Gentiles and all those in the body are inheritors of the kingdom of God within the body, in the church. We enjoy the corporate relationship as we are members together of one body. One commentator stated, No other society is comparable with the church since Christ is its head. Colossians 1.18 And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. Remember that at one time, you were without Christ and aliens. Paul says in contrast to that now, we share in the promises of God. One writer said the union of Jews and Gentiles in one body is a logical consequence of the central doctrine of the gospel that God accepts all who believe. The gospel, the gospel is simply the teaching or the revelation of Jesus Christ. I read an article called What's Missing from Your Gospel, which said, in searching for God knows what, Donald Miller tells of a lecture delivered to students at a Christian college. He began by telling them that he was going to present the gospel, but leave out one Very important element. He described the rampant sin that plagued our culture homosexuality, abortion, drug use, song lyrics on the radio, newspaper headlines, and so on. He said that the wage of sin is death and talked about teen pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases, and all of the supporting statistics. He described how the way sin separates us from God. He spoke of the beauty of morality, telling stories and citing examples of how righteous living was better. He detailed the greatness of heaven. He spoke of repentance and how their lives could be God-honoring and God-centered. Describing what happened when he finished the lecture, Miller writes, I rested my case and asked the class if they could tell me What it was I had left out of this gospel presentation. Not a single hand was raised. I presented a gospel to Christian, Bible, college students and left out Jesus. Nobody noticed. To a culture that believes they go to heaven based on whether or not they are morally pure or that they understand some theological ideas, or that they are very spiritual, Jesus is completely unnecessary. At best, he's an afterthought, a technicality by which we become morally pure, or a subject of which we know, or a founding father of our woo-woo spirituality. There is no gospel or good news without Jesus Christ. He is the key. Notice what Paul says in our last verse of the day, Ephesians 3, 7. Of which the gospel, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul received the good news about Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners of whom Paul called himself the chief sinner but regardless of that was able to receive the gift of grace from god by the his effective workings of his power what exactly does that even mean there are essentially two kinds of people on the planet there are those with god's grace and there are those without god's grace The Bible teaches that each one of us was born into sin and that we have broken God's laws, which the punishment is death. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death. There is no way for a person in this condition to be made right before God on his or her own. But God gave humankind... A gift. A gift that can save us and make us right before God. And that gift is called grace. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Why is it called a gift? GotQuestions.org. GotQuestions.org lists five reasons why uh, grace is a gift that I want to summarize for you. The first reason they say grace is called a gift is because we owe nothing for it. We owe nothing for it. The second reason grace is called a gift is because it was not free. It was not free. There was a cost to the giver. And the third reason grace is called a gift is that once you have it, it belongs to you forever. The giver does not get it back. And the fourth reason grace is called a gift is that the recipient becomes richer while the giver becomes poorer. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich and the fifth reason grace is called a gift is because it was completely unmerited it was completely unmerited or something that we don't deserve and something that we have not earned. 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 9-10. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christians are those who have God's grace and everyone else does not. However, they can have it And that is why Paul says, because of this good news, because of this gospel, because of God's grace through Jesus Christ, he became a minister. The best way to describe a minister is a person that tends to the needs of another. And Paul understood the need of a sinner. And that need was grace. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The greatest mystery of all time was revealed in Jesus Christ, and that is that regardless of our rebellion towards God... He loves us so much that he sent his only son into this world to save us. And all we have to do is accept that gift of grace. And then we can share it with others. Principle one Christians are servants of God. We are servants of God regardless of our circumstances. Christians are not excluded from the abuses of this wicked world and those who love it. We face a slew of difficult situations all the time. I found one article that listed 10 difficult life situations. They were a midlife crisis, relationship breakups, changing friendships, failures, divorce, losing a job, getting older, getting injured or falling sick losing all your possessions in a natural disaster, or the death of a loved one. Admittedly, these can all be difficult situations to be in. And the question is, should we stop serving God if those should happen? The Apostle Paul wrote this letter while he was sitting in prison for sharing the gospel. And some of the difficulties he faced included being imprisoned, and repeatedly beaten and stoned for the church. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our own mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. 2 Corinthians four, thirteen 13-18. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, our light affliction... Which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Application one, regardless of our circumstances, we need to get involved. We need to get involved. You can teach. Every age group here at Shadow Mountain Church needs help with teaching. You can lead. You can talk with the elders about the requirements of becoming a ministry leader. You can help with outreach, talking to people, inviting them to church. You can use your skills to help out all around here. You can demonstrate hospitality with those inside and outside the church. You can give and you can pray. Some people don't like to be out front, But the reality is we need prayer warriors more than ever right now. Regardless of what is going on in our lives, we need to serve God. Principle two, Christians have received God's grace. We have received God's grace and it didn't stop at salvation. God did not have to save any of us. He didn't have to. He would have been justified in sending every one of us to hell for our rebellion toward him, but he didn't do that. He demonstrated his grace, first by sending Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross and atone for our sins, but he continues to show us favor through our lives. Notice Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. John 1.16, and of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. Application two, God has given us so much more than we deserve. And we as Christians need to give others so much more than they deserve. Notice Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another even as christ forgave you so you also must do you must do it principle three christians are partakers of god's promises in christ because of the gospel we are partakers of god's promises in christ because of the gospel If nobody had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, where would you be today? If someone had not taken the time to share the gospel with you, what would your life look like right now? We know that your citizenship would be radically different. You would not be heaven bound. You would still be in this fallen world as a slave to our afflictions rather than a servant of God. And there are so many more out there who do not know the good news about Jesus Christ. They still do not know that God loves them. And they are still stuck in their transgressions awaiting God's judgment. And some of them are likely related to us. Closely to us. People in our lives that we know. What are we supposed to do? Application three. We are supposed to share the good news with as many people as possible. There are politicians right now who are making decisions for us that do not know God. There are people out there who are killing babies for the sake of convenience who do not know God. And there are people who are going to hell that we love and they don't have to. We have to share the good news as often as we can. I read about how Michelangelo discovered salvation by grace through faith. Michelangelo, the great Renaissance artist, is known for his statue of David and the incredible Sistine Chapel. But what many people don't know is that Michelangelo lived as a Reformation, or lived while the Reformation was sweeping through, the Euro, through Europe, and was influenced himself by Re- Reformation ideas about justification by grace through faith. Michelangelo was plagued throughout his life to live up to his own and others' high demand for his artwork. But as he approached his death, a spiritual rebirth began to occur. One of his final works, intended to be his gravestone, was a statue of himself in the guise of Nicodemus, the one who was born again in John 4, holding the dead body of Jesus. You can see the statue at the Duomo Museum in Florence, Italy, where a poem by Michelangelo is printed on the opposite wall. In the poem, Michelangelo describes coming to the end of his life and seeing that his hard work, his artwork, was actually harmful to his soul because, as he said, it became my idol and my king. At the end of the day, his only hope was not in being a great artist or receiving acclaim from others, but rather the divine love who, to embrace us, opened his arms upon the cross. Jesus Christ is the mystery, the gift revealed to the whole world. And all we have to do is accept him and be saved. And if you have not, I pray to God that you will soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Without him, we would have nothing Without Jesus, we would all be destined for hell, and we recognize that, Father God, and we are eternally grateful for your gift. It's my prayer today that our church would be inspired to share the gospel with all those around us in our community and our families. It's my prayer, Lord, that none should go to hell. I pray, Lord, that we would be fired up for your, your gospel, that we would reach out to everybody we know and share the good news I pray over all those young souls who will be here Friday who are looking forward to hearing the gospel and sharing their faith and making a commitment to you. I pray, Father, for them and their families as they lead up to that day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.